All right, so it sounds like I got one shot at this. <clears throat> if you don't mind, uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray as well. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to come into your presence as your people gathered in your name, and we know that you're here in our midst in a very real way. I ask God that you would bring your word, who is Christ, make yourself alive to us, unfiltered, unpasteurized. God, give us a palate for what we need in our souls, that we'd hunger and thirst for you, and we'd find such satisfaction in you this day. Thank you for being good to us. Thank you for a gorgeous day ahead of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Nenekikoman. Philodipides yelled this as he came from Marathon to Athens, proclaiming, the victory is ours. And then he falls dead. We win. Maybe not quite. So if you're not familiar with it, the, the Greeks had just defeated the Persians at the Battle of Marathon. It was about 490 B.C. And right immediately after the battle, that's when he gets running. Now you've got to go either north or south around a particular mountain in the area because you really don't want to go over it. If you go north, you've got to go uphill for three straight miles. You've got to love that. I'm going south. A little bit longer route, not a problem. Ends up being how long? Yeah, 26.2. That's at least what they, the conclusion that they've come to. You know, it's roughly around 40 kilometers is what they said the distance was, right? Nanakikoman, he yells. We have the victory. And then he falls dead. It's quite a run. I didn't want to die, so I ran a half marathon last week. It's like, yeah, that's, that's right up my alley. Now, I, I'm not a runner, okay? Just, just want to clarify that. I run, but I'm not a runner. And this is quite evident in, um, uh, in, in a picture of me from one of the first 15Ks that I ran. And um, that's nine miles, okay, for us U.S.-based people. Um, so what they have is, is they have this technology where they'll take your picture and then digitally they can find your bib and then they'll send a picture of that and say, hey, don't you want to like get a poster of this and put it up in your house? No. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm at like mile eight, okay, which was forever for me in this particular race. And chafing going on in places I won't mention this morning. <laughs> I am in such pain and literally I don't think like, I'm, I'm like this in the picture. I think literally both feet are on the ground at the same time. Which I don't know if you understand, but running, you don't do that. <laughs> no, I don't want to die. So generally speaking, you will run the race you prepare for. Okay, so I prepared for a half marathon. That's why I signed up like the two days before. Because <laughs> I wasn't quite sure if I really wanted to do this. But I knew I could keep my pace for the first 10 miles. So that's what I committed to. I was like, ah, I'm going to sign on. I'm going to do this for 10 miles. And then we're just going to pray for the last three. You know, hopefully I won't fall down dead like Philodipides. Um, one of the things that I do like about running is it kind of gives you a microcosm picture of life. It's exhausting. Hmm? It hurts. Every once in a while when you do it right, it can be rewarding. Yeah? It's fun to do it with other people, but sometimes it's nice to even do it by yourself. Nice little snapshot of life. And, I, and that's what I see here in this passage that we're going to look at this morning. We're actually going to take a look at the road to Emmaus. Uh, if you can, open up your Bibles, if you have them, to Luke 
chapter 24. And we're actually going to go ahead and start off with a course map. We're going to read through the whole story. Now, Jason has told me no less than 50 times that I have 25 minutes. So we're going to go over this course map pretty quickly. Okay, so uh, join with me. Actually, bear with me if this is a lot to, uh, to palate. Verse 13, that very day two of them were going to the village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that, they had, that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in this, in this morning, and when they, had, when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels and said that he, who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them at the breaking of the bread. There are a number of milestones that we encounter throughout the course of this story, and I'm going to draw attention to them. Uh, there are milestones that we encounter in life as well, and the difficulty is, is we measure life in all these events that come up. Hey, it's this happening and that happening. It's, uh, it, it's, it's this miracle of Jesus. It's his trip to Jerusalem. It's the event of Palm Sunday where he's being rec recognized and uh, accolades being thrown upon him. They're saying, yeah, the Messiah has come. It's an event. And then a few days later, another event. Where he's accused and then crucified. And we have another event coming up a couple days where he is resurrected. Life is measured in all these milestones that we have. The story of Christ is measured in milestones. But I want to contend and point out that life happens between those milestones. And it's not easy. Yeah, we like to measure what's going on. We like those points that we can put on a map. We like the posts for Facebook. But what happens between? That's where it gets real. What happens after mile 10? It's when it gets real. They start their race absolutely exhausted, grief-stricken and heart-sick. Um, 
They should have left the day before, but it was Sabbath, so they couldn't travel. I guarantee you they wanted to go home, but they couldn't because they weren't allowed to travel. So they spent the entire day in Jerusalem in loss, just thinking about it, dwelling on it, not being able to do anything. So they wake up that next morning to a bad dream. That's what grief is. That's what loss is. I know some of you experienced it even more than I have. When you wake up and the reality that you wake to, you just wish you could go back to sleep. When we have dread in our lives, not just from grief, but when we dread what's in front of us, man, I had one of those weeks. I had a couple days I woke up this, this week, I was going, oh my dear God, I, I, can't, see, I can't see past this. That's their starting point. You know, when, you, when I started my race last Saturday, it was great. I was able to park the car, kind of jog up, stay a little loose, jog up, get ready to the start, and everything's kind of exciting. You got a little bit of adrenaline going. You're ready to cover just about anything, right? As a matter of fact, it takes you a little bit just to even get over the adrenaline. So you've got to run like a couple hundred yards before that comes out, just to kind of calm down and get into your pace. So you're not going crazy. Do you know that when you run a sprint, that most sprinters for the 100 meter don't even breathe? Take one breath. And for 10 seconds, and McFarlane will fill in the gaps for you on this, but it stays anaerobic because the only thing that they they can use within their muscles is the oxygen that's already supplied there. Breathing won't bring any benefit to them helping to finish that race. It's one breath and go. Not for these guys. They're stuck. They're already out of breath. There's no adrenaline. There's nothing there. All they have is one another, and all they have is grief. And I will tell you, grief will skew your perception. Dread will skew your perception of reality. I had a stressful week. On Thursday, the company I work for lost 50% of the stock value in one day. I'm in corporate America for stability. That's not stability. (laughs) Dread. Man, it'll suck life out of you. That's where they were at the beginning of their race. Can you relate? Is that what you're going through now? Fortunately, I think one key component that we have is that they're together, right? And so they start this walk actually together, and, and I think that's fantastic. But actually, before they start, I'm getting ahead of myself. I know, 25 minutes. Um, They get this incredible story that we we know about because we read it earlier, right? Verses 19 through 24. And he said to them, what things? Uh, And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a great prophet, mighty indeed. So it talks about how the chief elders condemned him to death and crucified him. But they had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us in verse 22. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So not just grief, but confusion. 
Don't you love the person that comes up to you and says, man, it's going to be all right. God's going to take care of it. God's got the future. I know that. I still don't feel good. And you do. You know the truth. They know that there is something more to this Jesus of Nazareth than just a prophet, than just a teacher. But the reality is, the man just died. I saw it with my eyes. That's my reality today when I wake up. That's the reality that they left with. And when they hear something other, gosh, how does that, how does that confuse things? It'll be all right. God will take care of it. He said he would rise again. Are you kidding me? And they hear this message and it brings nothing but confusion. I'm with them. I'm going on a run. <laughs> I gotta get out of here. So despite the report, despite this little shred of hope, I think it's a bit deniable for them. And so in their confusion and their grief, they're like, let's just go. So they're having this conversation. And I love the way scripture is a little bit um, ambiguous on this. In verse 14 and 15. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened while they were talking and discussing together. Now, it's a little bit of a stretch here in the text, but I, I think this discussion was kind of like a discussion with your spouse. It was kind of a, we need to talk. I had one of those with Cricket on Friday. We had a talk. We had a discussion. Evidently, I mowed the lawn at the wrong time. And my poor wife, <laughs> I can't help if she's wrong. And it just takes time for me to convince her that I'm right. So finally I did, and I apologized. <laughs> and a day later, she got over it. We have this saying when we have these discussions. <laughs> we don't argue, we discuss. She's Italian, and I'm Irish, and there's some German mixed in there. <laughs> so it's like, hey, it's not a discussion. So again, I finally apologize. Um, you know, in typical with these discussions, we have this saying between us. <clears throat> Pardon me, Jason. I love you, damn it. It says everything in there. It says, I love you, I'm committed to you, but oh, it's so not easy right now. And I think that's the nature of the conversation that these guys are having, especially given their grief, especially given emotionally what they've been through, especially given the news that they've recently got. I think there's a frustration there. In the midst of this frustration, I think that's when Jesus steps in and absolutely derails their conversation. And I will tell you that a lot of times with our own thoughts, our own ideas, we need an interruption. I know that Father Jason spoke on that a, a number of weeks ago, probably early in the 11. We need interruptions to our own thoughts because I will tell you we are wrong, people. Excuse me, <clears throat> you are wrong. Occasionally, we need to be interrupted. They needed to be interrupted. So as they're walking along, Jesus, who was completely sheltered from the, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. He steps up and he says, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other? And they stood still and looked sad. Completely stopped their race, stopped their progression. 
Are you kidding me, right? You don't know what's going on? No. I love the sarcastic tone in scripture every once in a while. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel like, hey, these are humans. Or close to 21st century Frisco humans. And the reply comes back, and I think it's one of the first times that the Lord's, that the name Jesus is used almost as an expletive. He says to them, what things? In verse 19. Concerning Jesus, Jesus, you don't know. You don't know what happened to man who was, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And they go on this nice little diatribe of all these things. We had hopes that he was the one. And I think this starts to betray this, this doubt that's deep down on the inside of them. And I think here we're getting a glimpse of why, Je- why they were kept from recognizing Jesus. Because you realize that Jesus could have walked up in one of those fantastic glory robes that he's got now. Hey, Jesus. I mean, I believe the women. I did. He could have easily revealed himself immediately, but why does he stay hidden? Obviously, it's just speculation, but I think part of it is because they needed to drive the point home. They needed to work this out. They needed to cover the miles between there and Emmaus. Their legs had to carry them. And I will tell you, that's not an easy message. You might be going through rough times right now, and unfortunately, you might just need to work it out. Your legs are sore, you're depressed, Somebody else is wrong. You just got to work out those miles. How do they work them out? He says, how foolish. In verse 25, oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets he interpreted, to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He starts to explain, he starts to work through this. This to me is mile 10. Like, okay, I got there. You need a little extra now. And that's exactly what their thirsty souls are getting from Jesus. You know, as you you run a race, you'll get these signs that people will, will, will hold up for you. And I love seeing the signs, and, and I had to go find a couple of comedic ones in, in a la Jason style. Here's, here, here's one, and, and you got to think of you know, what this is to be actually be running in a race and see this sign. Okay, the context makes it funny. Worst parade ever. <laughs> You're running better than the government. Blisters are braille for awesome. You're the slowest runner so far. (laughs) Sign me up. (laughs) They had a picture of Grumpy Cat saying, I ran once. It was awful. The Kenyans are drinking all the beer. (laughs) And then there's a guy dressed as a Grim Reaper holding a sign saying, the end is near. Oh, and I'll tell you, you get those signs at sometimes the best moments because all you can think about is your drudgery. All you can think about is how bad your legs feel. All you can think about is, man, I should not have signed up to do this. Nina Kinkleman, I'm going to die. 
And you need these signs. I just want to share a couple of signs with you just in an attempt to encourage you. Now, trust me, some of these signs might not be for you. They might be for the person next to you. I will tell you right now, your circumstances will lie to you. As much as you think they reflect the reality, you could very well be wrong. Your circumstances could be lying to you. I will tell you, in running, your legs can lie to you. Sometimes, man, I, I am running and my legs start to ache just because they're sore from what I've done the day before or the day before that or whatever. I am hurting and my legs say, stop, because you can't do this. No, and I'm sorry if you're going through hard times, you can keep going. You can and you will. God will keep you rolling. Sometimes, you hear a script that's been written for you of, of how you've failed in the past and you think that that tells you what your next mile is going to be like. Sometimes you're like, man, I, I really messed that up and I can't recover from that. And I'll tell you right now that your past miles do not define those ahead of you. It's a lie. Your current pace is not defined by what you've already done. Stop asking, are we there yet? No, you're not. Keep running. Hydrate. If you think you're thirsty, if you think you're worn out, if you think you need refreshing, you're probably right. Go hang out with friends. Go do something that energizes you. Go talk to the person that encourages you. If you think you're listening to the wrong person, maybe you are. Maybe you need to call an old friend. Maybe you do need to read a little bit more scripture. And maybe you do need to get it from a different form. Maybe it does need to be in a different version. Maybe you do need a different devotional. Maybe you do need to switch up your routine. Repetition on legs can cause injury over time for runners. You've got to vary your routine a little bit. Keep it alive. Don't stop. Don't stop. Um, my wife and I are always um, you know, critical of the way we raise our children. Evidently, we are very strict. Um, I remember our neighbors, when they were trying to sell their house, they literally came over and asked us, this is back in Florida, they asked us, please don't yell at your children. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Get the hell out of my race and give me those numbers. That's what Jock Semple said to Catherine Schweitzer in 1967, one of the first women to run the Boston Marathon. She ran it 50 years later recently. 50 years later. So she's running, bib, she's running with bib number 261. She was granted the bib out of a, a miss <laughs> in the filters as they go through and, and, and look at qualification. And so they had sent her a bib. Now, she wasn't necessarily the first woman to run because others had done it before her. But this is one of the most publicized. And so here's Jock running out to, to grab that bib and pull it off say, you are not qualified. I will tell you, 
by the blood of Jesus, by his sacrifice for us, you are qualified to run this race. You are qualified. I love it because one of the pictures shows uh, her 235-pound all-American football player boyfriend knock the guy off of her. That's what community does. That's why we've got to be walking with others. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures? So they get up and they run the right direction. That's what I pray for each of us today. As our hearts burn with him, as he refreshes you, as you see the signs along the side of the road that say keep going, I pray that this milestone that we're approaching, and and see this as a milestone, see see the Eucharist, see see the table as milestone for us, that in the breaking of bread that you would encounter Christ today. See it as an absolute break, as a stop your running, stop your pace, I know I said stop running, don't stop running earlier, but you know what I mean. Take a break refresh and realize that it is all him. It is all his sufficiency. It's all his strength. It's all his endurance on your behalf. Come to the table and let our eyes be open today. Be refreshed. And we can listen to him say, Nina Kinkleman. We have the victory. Please stand for prayers.